Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Today we look at this series of parables from Jesus, and in particular we'll focus on the first two short parables that Jesus preaches, uh, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the parable of the great pearl. And so let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts so that the word that is preached would find good soil, uh, that it would grow and bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, we, we seek to understand you and we desire to know you more. And so we ask that you would answer our prayer and reveal yourself to us. Uh, in these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have these parables from Jesus, and I encourage you to open to Matthew um, to see these words, Uh, but I'll read them for you as well. Uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These parables are side by side for a reason. They both have kind of the similar punchline, right? That the man sells everything to obtain something better. That he gets rid of everything else in his life, in order to have a treasure or in order to have this great pearl. But it's a a complete exchange. It's 100%. It's all of what he owns. Uh, But in joy, he goes and does this. And so that is the main point of this parable, this complete exchange in order to grasp something greater or better. But the question is, and um, is the interpretation, who is the man in the parable? And what is the treasure or what is the pearl? And there's been a lot of ink spilled about this. Um, but we'll, we'll look at some of these possibilities, what this could really mean for us. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think it means, humbly. But one thing is this, that if we look at it, we could say, the man could be us. One interpretation is that the man is you and me, and that we are seeking Christ, we are seeking the kingdom of God, Uh, and when we find the great value of the kingdom of God, we find the great value of God's mercy and grace, that we sell all that we have, and that we go and obtain um, that treasure, and it's worth it. And certainly, the Bible does uh, talk like this. In fact, we're just coming out of a series of teachings from Jesus where Jesus has been talking to us, like especially in Matthew 10, about just how much it costs to follow him and just how difficult it might be to to claim his name um, and we would suffer loss because we're claiming his name. And so Jesus has said, you know, to follow me, there's going to be sword and not peace and there's going to be enemies in your own household and The religious leaders might call you demon-possessed too. In fact, the parable of the sower was all about how the kingdom of God can be resisted. 
that some people hear it and they, they, they resist it. The parable of the weeds was all about how even though the kingdom of God has come into this world, uh, there's going to be evil right alongside with the good. And God's policy is not to tear up the evil as much as we wish maybe sometimes he would, um, but rather to bear with it in patience. And he suggests that we do the same. And so Jesus has been teaching about the great difficulty of being a Christian and the ambiguity of following after Jesus and the strangeness of God allowing this evil to be alongside with the good. And so we might read this and say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that this is another parable about the difficulties of discipleship, that it's another parable that calls us Uh, to lay down our lives and to take up our cross and to give everything we have in order to obtain this kingdom that is coming into the world. And this certainly is a way that Christians have interpreted this uh, for many years. And many people fall down on that side to say, yeah, this is what it means, that we who are mortal, we who are fallen, we who are sinners— that we are called to lay down everything in order to obtain this kingdom that Jesus is bringing, in order to to obtain the life that is to come. But I think there's possibly a better way to interpret this parable, a more faithful way and a more realistic way for us sinners. And that is that the man in the parable is not us or you, That the man in the parable is Jesus. And the great treasure that he seeks is us, or the church. And the great pearl that he seeks is the kingdom. So Jesus is the one taking initiative to go and seek and to find. Jesus is the one who sells all that he has to obtain something that he desires and something that he is after. There's a few reasons why we could hold this. The first is this, who among us can really say, I have sold everything for the gospel. I have given it all away. I have denied all of my preferences. I have suffered all. For the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. If this really is the meaning of the parable and the prescription of what God wants you to do with your life, we're all going to end up short, aren't we? We're all going to say, actually, I quite prefer my own ways of life. I quite prefer my own stuff to the kingdom of God. By the inventory of my life, it is obvious that I have not sold everything for the sake of the gospel. I have not given up all. So that's the first thing. Maybe some of us have sold some things in our life, but not everything. Maybe some of us have suffered some things in our life that we've found great difficulty in being a Christian, and we have suffered for the name of Jesus, but you haven't given all, and you haven't resisted to the point of death. And so that doesn't quite seem to fit our circumstance 
The second thing is, if we are the man who finds the gospel, if that was the way we should interpret it, why would we hide the gospel? Did you see that detail? The man finds the treasure in the field, and he goes and hides it. And so if the treasure is the gospel, does this mean that we ought to hide the gospel in our lives? Well, no, that doesn't seem very congruent with what Jesus teaches us, does it? Jesus says we should shine our light before men. He says we should shout from the rooftops the things that he whispers in the dark. And so we are never to hide the gospel. Uh, Rather, we are to proclaim the gospel. We are to display the gospel in humbleness and weakness, pointing to the cross and pointing to Christ. But this man hides the treasure so that he might find it later. Third, the man in the, in the parable buys the whole field. Now, we know from other parables of Jesus, that ones he just taught, is that the field generally stands for the world. That the field is the whole world. It's the theater of the gospel coming into the world, but it's the whole world. It's the good and the bad alike. It's that great uh, arena where God desires to save and tries to save all, but only saves some. And while we are, as Christians, supposed to love the world or love those in the world and to reach out into the world, we're actually not supposed to keep the world. In fact, John, in his epistles, says, don't love the world or the things that are in it because it's passing away. And so to say that we ought to uh, love the whole world, purchase the whole world, doesn't seem to fit either. Instead, is it not Jesus who purchases the whole world? Is it not Jesus who sheds his blood for even the sinners who will never trust him, who will never receive his forgiveness, who will never love him back? who will never grow up and produce fruit. Jesus was sent by God to love the whole world, that whoever believes in him out of that world might be saved. There's not a person in this world that Jesus has not already purchased with his blood. But there's only some who hear and believe and receive that forgiveness, who trust in his name. And nonetheless, Jesus is the one who has purchased the entire field. And so it is Jesus who is the man in the parable, purchasing the field, seeking the treasure, selling all that he has to obtain us, to obtain his church. There's a few other places in Scripture that we can look to to really grasp onto this. We read one in the Old Testament reading today. I'll ask you to read along with me the the text that's in light green. This is what Moses says to the people of Israel um, just before he lets them go into the promised land. He reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of the plot that they're living in, the story that they're living in. This is what he says. It says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Let's read this. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord has sent his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. And so we see in the, the whole narrative of the scriptures that it is God who seeks, it is God who chooses. Moses is reminding the people, it, it wasn't because you were such a great people or impressive people, but rather it's because God's love that you have been chosen. And you have become a treasured possession, not because what you have done, but because of his choosing and because of his love. He goes on to say, and it is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This redemption language is one of buying and selling that God purchased this people for himself, found it, and gave what he had for it. First Peter echoes this as well, talking about God's people and encouraging them to be faithful. He says this, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That God gave up something. He won you. He redeemed you. He sold all that he had, the precious blood of Jesus, in order to call you his own, in order to ransom you away from a futile way of life that leads to death. And Romans 8 uh, gives us more of this beautiful news. Jesus says, or St. Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Let's read this will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see this pattern in the scripture. It is not that we choose God, but rather that he has chosen us. It's not that we really are able to sell everything, but rather that Jesus has sold everything to obtain us. That God is the one who initiates the relationship. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who bears the cost and pays the price. And so what are we to make with these parables when we hear this? In the midst of Jesus' realistic conversation about the difficulties of being a Christian, I believe we have this anchor of God's love. That he shows us why the kingdom is worth it. Why is it worth going through the suffering and the struggle? Well, because God has already purchased us. Because God has suffered and struggled and paid the cost already. And that's why it's worth holding on to Christ at all cost. The truth is that God wants us to be secure in our, his love for us. He wants us to know that we are bought and purchased. We are blood-bought children of God. I think in particular, this message needs to seep into uh, young people's hearts. Young people who apparently have so much to lose, who have so much uncertainty in their lives, who aren't sure about everything. 
God wants this to be the defining feature of your life. It wants, he wants it to be the dominant message in your mind, the things that you wake up speaking to yourself, that the Lord has redeemed you, that the Lord has sought you as a treasure. He wants this to be a song that's on repeat in your ears again and again. He wants this to be the confidence in your heart that God has given up everything for you to obtain you as a treasured possession. So often, that is not the dominant message in our hearts. That is not the things that we say to ourselves in the morning. That is not the song that's in our ears. Rather, it's a little bit more like maybe what Chandler Bing says to himself, right? He says, I'm hopeless and awkward and desperate for love. Great line. Maybe the best line in all of the series of friends. Chandler just confesses. <laughs> This is who I really am, that I'm hopeless, I'm awkward, I'm desperate for love. And so often, people can be in that place, they can be lured into that place where they just feel desperate. They don't know that they're loved. They don't feel the love of God. They don't tell themselves they're loved by God, that they're this treasured possession. The gospel is far from their minds. They forget the gospel, and so they become desperate that they can't wait to find that next hit of attention. And it ruthlessly shapes them and steals their joy and steals their identity. The truth is, all of us humans are pretty slow to believe the gospel. We're pretty slow to believe that God has exchanged the life of his son for us. Our hearts are timid, and so we kind of keep it at arm's length. We say, maybe... Maybe that's for some people, but we have a hard time bringing it into our hearts and our minds, into our bones and our souls. We have a hard time incorporating that into all of our lives. We just can't believe that we are the target of God's grace and love in Jesus. And so instead of claiming this love and confidence, which is ours in Christ, we desperately try to shape ourselves to please other people and to do whatever it takes to be acceptable to them and to gain approval from the world, to gain approval from our friends, to gain approval from ourselves or maybe from our parents. And we're desperate to find some kind of approval in this life. And so we contort ourselves in order to meet the crushing expectations of those around us. We would sell out our deepest convictions and our beliefs and our values in order that our friends would laugh and approve of who we are and what we say. We are lured into a deep, dark depression when we think we're not worth anything and no one really cares, and I guess I'll just go eat worms. We can even begin to hate and loathe ourselves and even to harm ourselves. We can try to change ourselves, change our hair, change our face, change our clothes. We become desperate to change every God-given aspect of ourselves. If only we could find love in our life. When it's ours all along. Uh, I knew a girl who fell into a trap like this some time ago. Wonderfully talented, beautiful young girl, 
extremely good athlete, extremely good um, soccer player. And she would train and she would train and she would train. And eventually that became the sole obsession of her life. She only trained. That's the only thing she thought about. Everything else in her life kind of fell away. She was even being scouted uh, for Olympic teams. She's extremely talented. She was so obsessed with this training, she sometimes would forget to eat. She was sure that she wasn't strong enough, that she wasn't light enough, that she wasn't fast enough. And it just took over her life. And she had forgotten the message that she was loved by God, that she was the treasured possession, that she didn't need to prove herself to anyone, that her worth did not come from the goals that she scored or the number on the scale, but her worth was in the love of God in her life. And she had forgotten that, and it almost took her life. She needed to be reminded that the greatest love in creation was already hers, already belonged to her. She didn't have to seek and strive, but instead it had sought her. It had found her. It had purchased her. How many things would we do just to be loved, just to be noticed? How would our sick hearts search after a love that we actually already have and contort ourselves to find it when our Lord is there all along saying, you are my treasured possession. I exchange everything for you. You don't have to seek. You don't have to strive. If we see this love for what it truly is, if we see the tidal wave of God's love in our life, and how it doesn't even compare to the trickle of love that we seek after so often and we're desperate for, it certainly would change the way we think about ourselves, and it certainly would change the way we carry ourselves, and it certainly would change the way we interact with people. We would be secure and confident in Christ. And if we understand that tremendous love that God has given to us, then maybe we can read the parable in the other direction too that we can say there is a greater love than any love I have ever seen in my life, than any love I will ever encounter in my life. And it is worth giving up everything to have it. It is worth holding on to it. It is worth sacrificing even to be in its presence. It's like a great pearl of great price. It's worth more than every other pearl I've ever seen. But it goes from God to us first, not from us to God. The hymn that we began our worship service this morning, um, really beautiful lyrics and poignant and appropriate for today. This is what it says. Now I worship none above thee, for thy grace alone I thirst, knowing well that if I love thee, Thou, O Lord, didst love me first. That's the truth, friends. What does God desire for us as we understand his kingdom in this way? I think it's this. 
that the greatest love of all creation has given up everything to have me as his treasured possession. And so I am secure. Friends, you are secure in God's love. It already belongs to you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.